This is Isabel. And you're now listening to the Top Rank Podcast. Episode three. Today's episode is dedicated to, I think, uh, a key icon in both of our lives. And that is the singer, uh, Selena. Selena Quintanilla. Yes. Selena the Tejana from South Texas. Not Selena Gomez. Just need to get that on the table now. Um, Who debuted in the music scene in the early 80s as the front of a band called Selena y Los Dinos. And during her very short life of only 23 years, became the best-selling Latin artist of the 1990s and undeniably one of the most influential of all time. Um, For those of you who don't know, she was murdered in 1995 by the president of her fan club. In this episode, we're going to talk about what it means to remember Selena, not just in um, our own lives, I mean, Isabel's lives, but really what this memorialization of her celebrity signifies in a broader uh, social context. So to do this, we also had the pleasure of uh, speaking with two remarkable guests who you'll hear from today. Uh, Travis Boyer, a Texas-born and now Brooklyn-based artist who has created a series of work inspired by uh, Selena. Uh, We're also going to speak with uh, Dr. Deborah Paredes, a professor at Columbia University and author of an amazing book called Selenidad, which is a sociological examination into Selena and the performance of memory. So yeah, let's do it. So we actually wanted to start out by uh, sharing our own earliest experiences of Selena and how she's actually impacted both of our lives. So Isabel, I'm really curious as to what's uh, your earliest memory of Selena? Well, one thing I wanted to point out is that although we both feel that Selena is a very formative figure for us, neither of us actually remember her being alive Um, as we were very small children when she died. And so the way that we comprehend her is sort of through a posthumous fandom and a collective memory. So for me, one example of this is her 1997 Warner Brothers um, biopic featuring Jennifer Lopez as her. Um, And I remember first, well, I remember first hearing I Could Fall in Love on the radio in my babysitter's car. My parents didn't like to play music while they were driving. (laughs) And... I totally love this song, and, I, and when my mom would put me to bed, I would actually wait for her to kind of settle in another room, and then I would turn the lights back on in my room, stand on my bed, and lip sync, I believe with a Walkman, the entire Dreaming of You album, which was actually my first big, big kind of self-purchase, um, which I got at Tower Records at the mall. I love that image of you just 
singing on your bed to Selena songs in the moonlight. I'm actually lip syncing, not even singing, which is even stranger. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. I mean, I definitely have done the same thing. I mean, similar to you, I've I've been kind of infatuated with Selena for as long as I can remember. I really don't have a memory uh, where she kind of hasn't been sort of like of a, an iconic figure in my in my own life. And, you know, I love her for many of the same reasons that, you know, so many people do. I mean, she has this radiant beauty about her. Uh, of course, incredibly catchy and wonderful music. Also, the quality of her voice, I think, is so interesting and unique and soulful in a lot of ways. Um, as well as, you know, and I think maybe most importantly for me, uh, this kindness that she seemed to exude, which kind of made me feel like I knew Selena almost. And like almost like she was like the big sister that I always wanted or like my best friend in a way. And I think she had that impact on a lot of people. But um, yeah, I guess I admired her for this sort of humility and, and, and confidence that she sort of embodied. And I think in many ways because of that, I still look up to her. I think I still want to be like Selena in a lot of ways to this day. Um, but definitely like you, I, you know, I grew up listening to Selena's music, definitely hearing it like in my like Brooklyn neighborhood. But I'd have to say that the 1997 movie with Jennifer Lopez definitely had an indelible impact on me. And I, and I would go so far as to say that it has sort of like a water, it, it's like a watershed moment for the development of my own identity. Like I, I, I really do believe that. And I say this because... Um, I remember it being among the earliest instances where I remember feeling like part of something larger than myself. And that's something I think is uh, being sort of like a Latina woman, young woman in the United States. Uh, so, you know, in this movie, you have Jennifer Lopez, who at that time was sort of like, for me, I became aware of her as a celebrity in the first place. So she's a New York Puerto Rican, just like me who was playing a Mexican-American woman who struggled speaking Spanish, which was also very like akin to my own experience. So as a six-year-old, I'm watching this movie, and of course, like I, I have all this insight with sort of like years of kind of processing this. But I, I definitely remember just kind of seeing some like semblances of myself in this, in this movie reflected back at me in a way that I felt was really powerful and, 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 and moving at the time. So... Definitely remember feeling like there was something that connected me to Selena, but I couldn't necessarily pinpoint what it was, and I didn't fully grasp it at the time. But I think now looking back on it, it was definitely me as a little kid, as like a first grader, like sensing like this emerging awareness of being sort of a racialized and gendered subject, really, in the United States. And and with that, all of the joy, the pride, and the confusion, and all, also the pain that comes along with these sort of like identity categories and what they what they represent and how they impact their lives. So that's my Selena, my Selena story, I guess. So that we recall her through this kind of collective memorialization and performance is what Deborah Paredes, who we who we spoke to and who is the author of a book called Selenidad, that um, that process of remembering is what. Selenidad is. So it's not about Selena's life, but rather about remembering and discovering and seeing yourself in and through her. So according to Deborah and a lot of the performance theory that she read about in sites and, and studies, performance allows us to enact and revise our own mental processes and traumas and to find catharsis in that role-playing. So 
The fact that Jennifer Lopez was actually able to build her career and identity, which she did in a way that I think we forget now a little bit, on and around the idea of being and becoming Selena, is in, like, in a way a metaphor for her afterlife itself, totally. which is so much about imitation. And JLo was, was able to create momentum. I mean, she also did an incredible job playing this role, but... Killed it, totally. That momentum came from the fact that acting and inhabiting Selena is essential to the Selena fan experience. So, I mean, the movie auditions in Hollywood for that role were had, had more applicants than any movie since Gone with the Wind for Scarlett O'Hara. What? So, I know. Was it a national audition? Yes. Wow. Actually, possibly international. Wow. And a lot, I mean, a lot of people from different stripes, genders, generations have found versions of community and selfhood through Selena. I mean, and through a real affection and love for her. But I think that we would like to consider how and why that plays out the way it did. So we are now going to talk with Travis Boyer, who we also mentioned a few minutes ago, is a Texas-born artist now living in New York, who makes a lot of work about identity that pertains to her work and to her celebrity. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. You know, I'm, uh, you know, my family's not Latino, but I went to a uh, high school that was predominantly black and uh, Hispanic. Also fair to say that, like, the border was just completely different at that time. Um, you know, you could go back and forth with just your driver's license. And I think the ramp up to NAFTA was far more optimistic than the reality of it. I think Selena was sort of identified as the most eligible, um, marketable image for what that new kind of citizenship was going to look like. That's not how things turned out, you know? Can you tell us about what inspired you to create work around Selena? Like the oh, sure. show? Like, yeah. Can you tell us all about that? You know, I went to a MFA program and like made abstract paintings and, you know, did a lot of different things in my project, but, uh, more than once, I would sit down and be like, okay, well, the show that I want to have is this show about Selena, and here's what it's going to include. And I would just get a no. Like, yeah, that does not surprise me. What would uh, you tell? What would you tell? Um, how'd you describe the show? Uh, oh, you know, like I think in a particular instance, like I was making these um, uh, abstract paintings that had a lot of, they were on velvet, they were like, purple and had these sort of like black flowers in them and whatever and you know started to build up this case and this is what I was interested in and uh and here's how the work was going to fit together and you would just really get dead silence or just we think we think this is a better direction for you and uh so then at some point I was like well like fuck it like no uh and uh, I started to make yeah uh, I did two shows this year that were much more, you know, directly about that. And it's been also difficult um, to say, like, oh, well, I'm not trying to be, like, the art world's official expert on this culture or this subject matter. Um, and also find ways to make it not too much about where you're, like, sort of stealing elements of her biography and superimposing it onto your own work, because that's also weird. So one of the ways that I dealt with it was to really talk about it in terms of fan fiction, uh, which I think is a, a language that, you know, we all understand. And uh, so I put together a show recently where I was motivated to make the pieces 
imagining that I was an artist being commissioned by Selena to make work for the interior of her boutique. So sort of like how um, Agnes B or uh, opening ceremonies or something like that would do an artist collaboration. Just imagine that I'm working within an existing structure of that artist collaboration. Uh, and so that, you know, not all of the work has to line up exactly to that, but at least is a sort of a, just wants to pass the ball forward in terms of um, this specific type of aesthetic that I really love and cherish. And it was sort of fleeting. Um, so, yeah. Can you just talk about some of the pieces in the show? Is this, is this, what, oh yeah, is this? I have is one right here. here. I have one right here. So I have one hanging up in the other room, but like, <laughs> so for instance, yeah, it lights up purple, but this is a, just like a very basic modernist uh, sconce that I got in Norway and then rewired it to hold um, one of these Selena uh, 32 ounce drink cups from Circle K. And you know, if you look at the imagery on the cup itself, it's really painterly. Just for me, I feel like there's a lot of um, unquestioned like reverence for modernism and Bauhaus aesthetics. And so lately, I think my goal has been to sort of infect that look with this Tejano feeling, more specifically with Selena's image, to sort of like claim space for that. I mean, you know, like when we were looking at that video earlier about how, like, why are there accordions in Tejano music? Well, it's because it's always been in conversation with German culture. And so uh, to just sort of, yeah, do the same thing, but talk about Tejano aesthetics through a framework of kind of like popular modernism. I've gotten so many letters from fans inviting me to their schools, so I'd like to invite you to mine. In fact, I'm going to play teacher today. Y'all play the students, okay? Graduating from high school in 1988 was one of the most important things I've done in my life. My favorite subjects were history, English, and math. But today I'm going to teach you something they didn't teach me in school. Something I know really, really well. Mexican-American music. heard comes from a 1994 educational video that Selena made of called Mi Musica, Mexican-American Music of Today. And special thanks to Travis, actually, who, who showed us this, this gem while we were interviewing him, uh, which he, he told us that um, this video was actually played in his high school in Texas and also across Southern California. You know, those days you had a substitute teacher, they kind of just like pop in a videotape. This Selena educational music video was one of those. Um, so um, in the video, which I really recommend uh, you to, to, to check out on YouTube in full, um, in, in the video, she gives us um, a really interesting and like comprehensive social and political history of Mexican-American music. And she really breaks it down for you. She, she goes as far back as sort of like, like a 19th century Spanish colonial history of Texas and also the geographic proximity and cultural relationship of Mexico with Texas and the United States and how this sort of confluence of factors shaped regional um, musical styles at the time. And, you know, the video and all of its, I'd say, like, 
like really sweet, glorious cheesiness. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly corny. It's awesome. But I think it's important to just to see because I think, you know, in her own voice, Selena really places herself and her, her music within a broader sort of like United States cultural landscape. So this video is, is incredibly thorough. Um, she really delves into the genesis of Tejana music and um, genres like cumbia and ranchera and explains how, the, how this music that she knows and loves is a mashup of both Mexican and European influence and is its own form of crossover. So crossover is a concept that's essential to sort of to understanding Selena as a brand and, and she was on the forefront of celebrity as brand. Yeah, another really interesting fact that we learned about uh, Selena from Deborah's book was that um, the issue of People Magazine that was published um, after her death with her on the cover was actually one of the highest selling um, issues of People Magazine in the history of the publication. It was actually the impetus for um, the launch of People in Español. Uh, so I think that's really interesting just to see how um, Selena's you know, career boom in like the early 90s was also very much a part of and aligned with this sort of like Hispanic marketing boom. That's something that I'm like personally interested in with my own sort of like research. Uh, but this idea that Selena... Um, and her celebrity really kind of uh, galvanized a lot of different uh, corporate entities to recognize um, Latinos as a consumer demographic in the United States. So, like, what does that mean um, in a country where I, I would argue that so much of um, ideas about citizenship and belonging are tied to consumerism and consumption? So the fact that, like, Selena is kind of part of that story, I think is really, really fascinating. So we really wanted to kind of dig into this, me and Isabel, um, how Selena's celebrity allows us to examine uh, the many ways in which uh, you know, a broader United States political situation contributes to the celebration and memorialization of her life. So to explore this, we spoke with the wonderful Professor Deborah Paredes from Columbia University and author of the book, Selenidad, Selena, Latinos, and the Performance of Memory. So here's an excerpt of our conversation with her. We'd love to hear more about um, the concept you talk about in your book, um, Selenidad. You say that the book isn't about Selena, but it's about what it's like to remember her. So could you tell us more about what that, what that means? Sure, absolutely. For me, the, the, the term Selenidad um, it was a way to name the process by which Latinos um, used Selena uh, is a way to stake their claims to, for everything varying from claims to citizenship, claims to um, articulating their own personal tragedies or cultural tragedies um, in, in, in light of the very um, difficult struggles that Latinos face in this country. I think in many ways, Selena represented for many of us Latinos both the kind of aspirations that we live as, as you know, that we hope for, right? She was someone who at a very young age had aspired to and achieved so many dreams, right? Um, but also because her life was cut short at such a young age, she also really represented for us some, some of the unfortunately very common tragedies many Latinos face um, because of, you know, all kinds of, of violences that are, that are sort of directed towards our communities. Um, and so her loss... Um, and the tragedy of her loss at such a young age provided an opportunity as well for Latinos to really um, publicly mourn and consolidate themselves around that, um, the tragedies that, that we face um, as a larger community. And so Selenidad became a way to name that process. 
No, it's just so powerful how like Selena is this icon that can that can bring so many different groups of people together. Also, kind of encapsulate a lot of like the contradictory sort of like politics in the United States that you know at once she's revered, while at the same time there's a whole social politics around her that are you know telling her that the group that she purportedly represents is, you know, outside of the mainstream. Could you talk more about this tension that she, that uh, Selena as a, as a figure, as a brand sort of like uh, brings to bear? I think that you're, you're absolutely right about these contradictions that she embodies. You know, on the one hand, Selena's story was easily kind of, you know, one could easily narrativize it as a kind of, oh, here's this you know, um, American dream narrative, or at least aspiring toward the American dream, right? You know, she worked hard and she, you know, she achieved material success and she was a good daughter and all these kind of very normative um, mainstream narratives that show, you know, how, uh, that show a kind of um, particular path to success um, that appealed to Coca-Cola, for example, you know, appeal to a particular uh, corporate uh, interests who were uh, very um, invested in trying to capitalize on Latino, um, you know, consumers. Um, at the same time, you know, um, and this is the, what I've learned from speaking with so many people who who um, remembered Selena and who continue to to um, you know worship her in all kinds of ways. She's someone who, in as much as she was kind of conventional in some of her stories and some of the ways that she led her life. She was also someone who um, very publicly, for example, struggled with Spanish, right? So she was, you know, markedly, you know, Mexican-American, right? And, and embodied a lot of the struggles that many Mexican-Americans uh, feel where they feel not quite Latino enough, right? Or not quite Mexican enough. If we think about her as the diva, as I do, she was someone who, given her um, self-image and given the ways that she was invested in, she was on, in her entrepreneurial ways, right? She designed her own clothes. She was interested in kind of her own self-styling. She, in many ways, um, presaged or, or sort of predated the, the sort of performer as brand model that we have in a post-Piancé world, right? That she was in that moment just before, who was sort of, she was kind of for better and for worse, right? Be, you know, beginning um, to transform the performer into the brand. And I think that's part of, you know, that is a complicated thing, right? In some ways, she we, we want to sort of um, applaud her desire to kind of have as much control over her own um, self-image, right? We want, of course, you know, our performers to, or, or our, uh, especially people of color, to have as much, me, you know, sort of ownership of their means of the representation. And yet the transformation into brand is something that, you know, is Marx's kind of neoliberal world that, you know, um, we don't necessarily always feel so comfortable with, right? That we have to have a brand, that we have to transform the self into a brand, I think is, is, is a problem. But that divas have very much been a part of that. And she was someone who was certainly beginning to do that. Um, and I, and I always say, and it's, it's a, it's a, you know, a phrase that I say seemingly kind of with, uh, very flippantly, but I think it's true. You know, what's interesting about Selena too, and part of her appeal is in as much as she was poised to do that, she died before she had to dye her hair. I like to say, right. She was, she died before she was forced to dye her hair. And what I mean by that is there were certain concessions she didn't have to make yet to become the brand. And part of that is what made her so appealing because she was she died where she at a moment when she still possessed some of the markers of authenticity um, that folks I think found appealing. Uh, that's actually really a thought provoking point because 
so many sort of um, really iconic female performers of color. I'm, I mean, Beyonce, Lil' Kim, for example, with her mm-hmm. recent scandal over her appearance. Um, it was much later in their careers once they had reached a level of success and, and had certain corporate contracts and really had like a wider audience that they received so much criticism for somehow losing touch with their roots. Um, and it is, it is definitely very um, circumstantial that she didn't have to deal with that to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And it's in the same way that someone like Aaliyah also didn't have to, who I think has a comparable, if not quite the same, fan base of, of kind of really serious followers and worshipers. And that part of that is because of that kind of forever youthful, forever innocent status that one maintains in a situation like that, which actually leads me to another question that we had, which is that you discuss um, in the text this idea of a fallen and once beautiful body as a specifically female body as a vessel for kind of reaffirming social and cultural norms and for, and for this kind of sanctified space of collective mourning, like specifically the prematurely dead woman. And I, I, found, I, I found that really fascinating and also like almost painfully true. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could sort of unpack what you meant by that. Sure. I mean, Selena, you know, like, you know, Frida Kahlo or like some, you know, Evita Peron, right, or other kind of women who we might deem kind of, quote, Latin divas, um, you know, Lupe Velez, you know, uh, you know, from from an earlier era. Um, I think that, um, and I'm certainly not the first to, to talk about this, but I do think that the fact that these particular icons uh, or that these women became I- icons, right, in the 1990s, um, that there's no accident that that is happening at a time when, so that we have this kind of reverence, this almost, you know, hagiography almost of these women, right, that these transformation into the iconization of these women um, happens exactly in a moment when so many actual young brown female bodies are being massacred, right, along the border or are being, you know, uh, explore or they or are being exploited in some ways through the you know by their you know by um, problematic labor practices or by the very sort of struggles around um, immigration reform that are happening as well and again you know I, I recall you know Coco Fusco doing a performance during the 90s as well where she kind of you know re, restaged that kind of like the the necrophilic fascination right with the with the with the um the brown dead female body and I think that um you know, her story is a part of that larger process as well. Selimi Dodd is just as much about the violence done to or with the dead brown female body as it is about as much about the real triumph and the real virtuosity that her actual living body was able to achieve. I also think that um, Coco's performance, which is really amazing, mm-hmm. um, reflects the way in which a woman is sort of safe and unthreatening once once she's no longer living, especially a young, beautiful woman mm-hmm. who has charisma and power and potential for success and, and to really kind of influence people that there's a fear in that, like a cultural fear on many levels, and that there is a safety in being able to sort of look at her retroactively. And there's a way in which people only appreciate her in that state. But that actually connects really well to the question I was about to ask. Um, I was wondering if you talk a bit more about what we can learn about U.S. social politics by looking at Selena and how she was sort of heralded during her life and also sort of the aftermath of her memory. Absolutely. You know, so Selena died in 1995 and, um, you know, it was the year right after the passage of NAFTA, of course, in 94 and right um, 
And right before, you know, it was a major legislation around immigration reform and welfare reform in 1996. Um, and for me, what was really um, important to think about, you know, was to observe, one, that there was this huge outpouring after her death, right? Um, and that, you know, absolutely so much of that was because she was a phenomenal performer. There's no denying her virtuosity. Um, there's no denying the, her kind of corporate appeal and that that became part of her global circulation was because she was connected to an infrastructure of the recording industry and, and other corporate sponsors that allowed her to then have a kind of circulation, um, a wide circulation. Um, but it was also clear to me that the responses to her, both those who were seeking to memorialize her and those who were um, expressing anxieties around that memorialization, could teach us something about um, both uh, the ways Latinos were trying to find their way, a space for themselves or ourselves within um, American culture, but also it provided a way to think about how uh, political constituent, how, how political forces and, um, and corporate ones were also uh, struggling with or uh, working through the process of figuring out how to take advantage of, in, in, in all of the sort of resonances of that mean, meaning of that phrase, the uh, growing Latino constituencies, right? So for me, Selena's memory, uh, the, or the memorial space provided by her, her, was a way to think about all of those forces happening at once. Instead of simply saying, oh, well, as many did, right? Simply saying, disregarding them as crazed fans, right? Or simply disregarding it as, oh, she was just a, a sellout, you know, Coca-Cola seller, you know, like, uh, you know, it, yes, it was those things. Yes, to talk about Selena is to talk about how Coca-Cola makes money off, off Latinos. To talk about Selena is to talk about young girls having a space to express their own emergent sexuality, um, young brown girls, right, in, in, within family structures that are often quite policing of that. To talk about Selena is to talk about um, struggles amongst families um, that are torn apart because of, uh, you know, enforced deportations and that Selena's music could be the space, could be the thing that they sort of hear across that divide and communicate with each other through um, across that divide. To talk about Selena is to talk about a particular generation uh, of Latinos as she was who were um, trying to negotiate um, both, you know, not just an immigrant experience, right, but a, but an experience of having lived in the United States for de for generations and still not feeling the uh, and not being granted full access to citizenship, right? To talk about Selena is to talk about the ways that, despite the fact that her family had lived in Texas for generations, she was still seen as someone who somehow came from Mexico and made it big here, right? When in fact. She had been in Texas for many, you know, for her whole life, right? To talk about Salinas, to talk about all of these forces um, at once, right? Um, instead of simply disregarding her as, as simply, or relegating her to simply like a, you know, a figure that was famous only about around, uh, you know, only to, you know, these select few brown folk, or as someone who was just, oh, another, you know, corporate sellout. But to see the interplay amongst all of those forces. That's what I find, I mean, that's what I connect with about Selena so much. I mean, amongst many of her other, like, qualities and features. I mean, I was Selena for Halloween, I think, mm -hmm. like, at least three times. Mm -hmm. Is that she really, that whole that whole part about her not speaking Spanish, but at the same time sort of being this, like, representative icon of, like, Latina identity, for me, really breaks open the, I don't want to call it a fiction, but just sort of, like, the fraught 
character, the characteristics of, of racial and ethnic identities. I mean, like, she comes to represent, you know, what it means to be. She's the very icon of, like, the Latina woman, but at the same time, you know, doesn't necessarily always fit all the cri- all that criteria. So for all of us, for people like me who are, you know, I guess I was, like, around five or six years old she passed away, still trying to, like, and still to this day, trying to come to terms with what these sort of, like, categories mean for her to represent those contradictions and tensions, but also still be so uh, charismatic and empowering within that um, uh, that conflict, I think is, is is something that I find really empowering to this day. I for think sure. I think what's so you know one of the things that's so powerful about Selena is she is her her career and her afterlife right reveals a lie of you know. Uh, of the kind of search for roots, right? That somehow roots or origins are so sort of simply uh, established, right? That she troubles that very uh, fiction, right? That often kind of lead to many of us feeling inadequate, right? On, from whatever side, right? And her story also, I think, is really important one for thinking about the consolidation of a specifically Latina identity, because you know, uh, um, as I write in the book, you know, like Selena, I was I'm Tejana, and I am also some a Tejana who has lived in other parts of the country and. In my, um, you know, in the in the contact I've had with other Latinos, I often I learned early on, right? Tejanos are not necessarily seen as cool uh, in the spectrum of Latinos, right? We're the kind of country backward cousins who can't really dance, right? So it was amazing to me that Selena became so incredibly popular beyond Tejano, you know, among Latino communities beyond Tejanos, right? That that's something we shouldn't have taken for granted, right? But that already was the story, was the place that I wanted to start is how did she get so popular even across the Latino divides, you know, much less beyond Latinos. And I think what she, one of the ways that she was able to do that, aside from the kind of complexities of her music that signaled across the Latino diaspora, was the ways that she, I think, or the ways that her body signified a particular kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, anti-normative kind of form, right? That she signified, you know, in her ample curves, a kind of uh, a particular kind of body image that you know Afro-Caribeñas could could certainly connect with, as well as Mexicans and, and Chicanas, and that she also was someone who, in as much as she sang in Spanish and could sing a bolero in Spanish, she again, struggled publicly with speaking it, right? So that she could also then speak across a generational divides or, um, you know, you know, or other kinds of, of struggles that we face as Latinas. So there was some way in which she was able, um, both in her space, in her life and in her career, but also in her afterlife, to bring together a specifically Latina, right, um, identification. I love the part in, in the book where you say that um, in loving Selena, um, her fans were able to learn how to how to love themselves. I felt I feel like that's that's so real on so many levels. I mean, even in terms of her specific appearance, having an alternate look. I mean, being a morena um, um, and having dark hair and darker skin and, and a certain form, that is a, is a, is a specific thing that made her relatable to a certain group. But even on a larger scale for kind of women in general or for a marginalized community like um, queer men or, or women who feel like they can act out her, the role that she played on stage or her diva, her glamorous self-confidence. I feel like there is, I, I feel like it's very easy for fandom to be dismissed as being kind of silly or, or unimportant, but that the process of self-discovery through the love of another in and, and another in which you see yourself is so important for 
yeah, for self-actualization and for self-love, that there's something that she provided there, which is really intangible. How would you describe Selena's brand of feminism? I think, I think her feminism lives, for me, in, um, in the ways that she encouraged a kind of movement, and I mean that literally and more figuratively, uh, among the generation of women who kind of had, both were growing up dancing and singing to her, but also in the years since who have continued to do so. For me, her, um, her feminism also lives in her dedication to a kind of entrepreneurial ownership of her, her persona, right? Again, it's complicated, right? It doesn't always mean that. I don't think that everything, for example, Beyonce does is feminism, you know, just because she can, can pay for it, right? But that there was, I think, an emergent uh, or maybe a nascent um, uh, feminism in that desire to own the means of her production, in the desire to... Um, to uh, not adhere entirely to the to the scripts that often shape um, the life and career of of, of a, a performer, right? Um, I think it absolutely lived in the ways that she, um, uh, you know, got on stage for that Astro that last Astrodome performance and had one of her nails, like you know, a band aid on, you know, because clearly one of the nails had fallen off, and it was just that kind of assertion of a working class Latina aesthetic. Right in the moment of such, you know, the grand, you know, the grand success, that there was still an adherence to that or a proclamation of that. Um, I think her feminism absolutely lives in these in these young women who are able to move their bodies one at all, um, and two um, to rhythms that 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 they had not been able to um, kind of find in their daily lives before. You know, whether that's moving to a cumbia, whether that's um, thinking about the young women who saved up their babysitting money and illicitly, you know, went to the auditions. Right? They found a kind of mobility uh, within these very circumscribed lives that are often. Um, you know, uh, uh, sort of put upon young young brown women, right? That she she elicited a kind of movement, um, a, a variety of movements, and to me, that's where her feminism lives. You know, and whether or not she was one, I'm less concerned with, and I'm much more concerned with the kinds of feminist practices or aspirations that that her memory, I think, um, uh, elicited, or uh, you know, in many of the people who continue to to remember her. My last thought on this. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought up the nail thing because we were literally just talking about oh, that really? on the phone last night. <laughs> I feel like that broken nail to me is like the epitome of the way in which she broke that fourth wall of being a celebrity, a perfect beauty with sort of every hair in place and the way that almost every female star feels or in many cases buckles under that tremendous pressure to be, I mean, an, an, an angel of sorts. And her, you know, waving that broken nail finger, there's so much symbolic power in that movement of being like, this is fake, actually, you know? And it, and that doesn't mean that it's not great and that I can't celebrate it and feel beautiful because of it and, and have it empower me, but it is ultimately, you know, a fabrication or, or an extension of what I really am. So, I yeah, the nail to me is kind of everything. It is everything, but, right? Because there is this real assertion of... Uh, of the of the imperfection, right, and a kind of public display and an ownership of that, that that becomes also part of the articulation of the triumph, right, that the triumph has to include a signaling of that, 
right? And a signaling of a particular kind of style too, right? A, a working class, you know, aesthetic, uh, you know, brown aesthetic, right? That we see in, and again, in that concert that is supposed to be the concert that's going to launch or crossover, you know, US English language career, right? That that signaling happens there, right? Is, I think, as you said wonderfully, is, is a way to signal beyond that fourth wall to like who her audience, who she's actually speaking to or who she's singing for. Um, she's singing for us. We want to believe, right? She's singing just for me, right? <laughs> or she's singing for us as Latinos, right, who have worshipped her all along, um, and not just for the recording executives who are certainly there to, you know, that she was also interested in in impressing. But that nail, I think, signals to us how we might be part of that triumph. Muchas gracias, la canción ya ves. Ahora, me gustaría dedicar esta canción a todos ustedes porque ustedes hicieron esta canción un éxito, el primer éxito para nosotros aquí en los Estados Unidos igual como en México espero que te acuerden de esta canción just heard from Professor Deborah Paredes from Columbia University. Definitely check out her book, uh, Selenidad, Selena Latinos and the Performance of Memory. That's our episode. Thank you uh, so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you, and I'm very sorry about my voice. Every time we record, I lose my voice the day before. I think so your voice is, sounds amazing. This isn't going to change. Thanks to Red Bull Studio for helping us sound mix this episode. Check out Top Rank Magazine uh, online at Top Rank Magazine and be on the lookout for our second issue. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.